All right. Well, we are going to uh, begin by reading the passage of Scripture that this series we're on through the Bible uh, is taking us. We're in the New Testament today. We're in the Gospel of Matthew, the very first chapter. I'm going to read verses 18 to 25. Uh, before we, um, and then I'll, I'll get into the message from there. So listen as I read for the Word of God. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. He named him Jesus. Today we are going to be looking at this passage and some very important Christmas words that come out of this amazing story of Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. And as a way to get into that story, I wanted to share with you uh, another amazing story. In fact, it's the most amazing story about a courtship of anyone that, that I know personally. Now, this uh, courtship, it started with my friend from college, Jaime. He's a unique individual. He was born in South America, but raised in the heartland of the United States, in Iowa. I met him our first week in college, this bilingual Ecuadorian from Iowa, and um, he was dreaming, even at that early point, of a career in, uh, in international business. And so being just fluent in Spanish and English wasn't enough for Jaime. He wanted to add another language to his repertoire. And so he studied French. And in fact, in his junior year in college, he went to France to study for the whole year so he could truly become fluent in that language as well. And so... As Jaime was spending time in France during that year, he met a beautiful woman from Mexico named Lourdes, who was there studying to be a pastry chef. And Jaime fell head over heels in love with Lourdes, but she had a boyfriend back home in Mexico, and she only viewed Jaime as a friend. 
Well, my friend Jaime is not one to take a simple rejection at face value. And so he continued to do his best throughout the entire time they were in France together to romance Lourdes and to try to supplant her boyfriend in, in, uh, in her life. But, uh, and, and she finally relented a little bit toward the end of their time together in France. They went on a couple dates. They saw some of the sights of Europe together, but all too soon for Jaime... Their time together in France was over. He came back to college he, to finish his studies. She returned to Mexico to her boyfriend to begin her career as a pastry chef. Jaime dated a little bit, but he just he couldn't get Lourdes off of, off of his mind. He finished school, college, and then he went to graduate school in international business out in, in Arizona. And uh, during that time that he was out in Arizona, a couple of their friends from France announced they were going to be getting married in Texas. And wouldn't all the old gang from, from that year abroad uh, gather together for the wedding in Texas? And so Jaime contacted Lourdes. They had very little contact. They exchanged a couple letters and a, a couple of conversations on the phone. But Jaime contacted Lourdes and said, hey, are you going to go to the... To the, uh, to the wedding in Texas, because if you are, I'll meet you there. And Lourdes said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll meet you in Texas. And so Jaime, the graduate student in international business, who had very little money, used what he had and made his way from Arizona to Texas, and guess who didn't show up? Lourdes didn't come up from Mexico City. So strike one, strike one. So Jaime dejectedly went back and continued his studies. He finished his master's degree, took a job with an international commodities company, moved to the Midwest, and then they got word that another couple from their time in France was going to get married. This time the wedding was supposed to be in Chicago. And so this time Lourdes contacted Jaime and she said, uh, my relationship with my boyfriend is over. I'm planning to go to the wedding in Chicago. It would be good to see you there. And so Time came for the wedding. Lourdes showed up. Guess who was a no-show? <laughs> Jaime didn't show up this time, so strike two on the relationship. Well, it was only a few months later that another couple from, this was a marrying group of people, I guess, another couple from this group in France announced they were getting married, and the wedding was going to be in Chicago once again. And so this time Jaime contacted Lourdes. He said, listen, Sorry I didn't make it last time, but, but I'm going to go to Chicago for this wedding. It would be great if we could meet each other there. And Lourdes said, all right, well, I'll, I'll try to make it to Chicago for the wedding. When the weekend came for the wedding, lo and behold, both Jaime and Lourdes showed up. They hadn't seen each other in three years before that. They spent the whole weekend talking and talking and talking. And before the weekend was out, they had decided to get married craziest tale of a courtship that I have ever heard in my life, except perhaps the story of Mary and Joseph. Now that is one crazy courtship. Now, so the, the wedding customs in, among the Jews in, in Palestine at that time, they were a little bit different than ours today, and so I'll just go over them so we can understand some of the parts of the, the Bible passage and, 
Because it, it, it might cause you to question otherwise. What was going on here? What, why were you going to divorce her if you weren't were you just engaged? And what was, what was going on with that? So, so the way that it worked is it began with two families, the families of the man and the woman, deciding that their children would marry one another. So kind of an arranged marriage. And, and that arrangement was uh, sealed, was made legal either with a payment of money by the man to the woman's family or by a, by a signed contract. That was the first step. And the second step, that the signing of that contract or the giving of that money led to a year-long betrothal or engagement period. It was called the Kedushin. And during that time period, the woman was considered legally married, even though that part of the wedding process, the marriage process, was closer to what we would call an engagement. Mary and Joseph were at the Kedushin part of the, of the process when we, when we, in the passage that we read today. And after that year-long betrothal, then the wedding proper took place. The marriage proper took place. It was called the hupa. The hupa. What a great word for a wedding. It makes me think of hufla and lots of celebrating and festivities and all those kind of things. And that's exactly the way it worked. Uh, there was a week of uh, parties and, and celebrating for the couple as the woman moved into the man's home. And so in, in uh, picking up this story in the first chapter of Matthew, we find uh, Mary and Joseph a ways into their year of the betrothal period and the Kedushin period. And uh, we know from the Gospel of Luke that after uh, some time had elapsed in their engagement, Mary left Nazareth for a period of about three months and went to stay with her cousin Elizabeth. And when she returned from the visit to her cousin Elizabeth is when she uh, let Joseph know that she was going to have a baby. Joseph, of course, was well aware that this baby was not his. And so it was, in fact, Joseph's duty as a faithful Jew to, um, well, I'll, I'll show you what his duty was. His duty was to show that he was more committed to God than he was to his betrothed. And the book of Deuteronomy tells us this is the prescription for what happens when uh, an engaged woman is with another man. If there is a young woman, a virgin already engaged to be married, and a man meets her in town and lies with her, you shall bring both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. Well, the Bible tells us that Joseph was a righteous man and he was a good man. He was not, he did not want to expose Mary to the harshness of what was prescribed in the law. And so instead, he was going to divorce her quietly. He was going to break the betrothal and send her quietly on her way. And as he had decided to do that, the, the text that we read today tells us that an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. 
and told Joseph that the child conceived in Mary was from the Holy Spirit and that he need not worry that he should go ahead and take her for his wife. And that is exactly what he did. The craziest sort of courtship period I think I've ever heard of. But this, beginning with this miraculous conception, it lets us know that the child born to Mary was going to accomplish amazing things. And so as we look again at this familiar story, I want to lift up a, a couple of words that seem to uh, be given particular emphasis and particular importance. And the, the first word that I want us to look at it comes from, it's actually a quote from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And it is when the angel was speaking to Joseph in the dream, uh, it quoted Isaiah, the, the words, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel. And that's the Isaiah part. And then it, it gets translated for us, which means God is with us. And so whenever you see a word like this, like Emmanuel, that's the first of the Christmas words we're going to look at. Whenever you see a word like Emmanuel, and then there's a translation offered, then what you can know is that the, that word is either an Aramaic word, which was the common language of the Jews in Palestine at the time of Jesus, or it's a Hebrew word, which was the sacred language of the Jews during that time. And sure enough, it is a, it's a, a Hebrew word. This is the Hebrew word Emmanuel, and you, you may know that you read Hebrew uh, right to left instead of uh, left to right, like we would read English or you'd read Greek or Spanish or whatever. So the word Emmanuel, the first uh, two, two letters are uh, M, M, I, it's with. First two letters are with, and then Anu is the, the middle two letters with the, the uh, vowel point there. And then the last two letters, L, and Anu means with, and then the last two letters, L, are shorthand term for God. So literally, Emmanuel means with us, God. So when you're translating uh, any language, you know, a lot of times the word order is a little bit different. If you speak Spanish, if you speak German, the word order is sometimes a little bit different. And when you're translating from Hebrew into English, you can um, sprinkle in an is or an are to make it make sense. And so we translate Emmanuel, God is with us. God is with us. In this child born of the miraculous conception, God is with us in a way that is both ancient and new. As ancient as when God spoke to Moses before the Exodus and telling him not to be afraid to go and tell the Pharaoh to set the Jewish slaves free because God would be with Moses and protect him. It is as new as when we baptize an infant in this service and we quote 
the Great Commission from the end of Matthew's Gospel when the risen Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. And remember, what do we remember? Remember, I am with you to the very end of the age. Emmanuel, God is with us. This child of the miraculous conception was signaling the fact that God is with us in a new and powerful and amazing way. And so perhaps during this season of Christmas, perhaps it is important for some of us to know that if we are facing difficult times like the the death of a loved one or financial challenges or a relationship that has crashed and burned or we just have trouble keeping up with the pace and the expectations of the season, Emmanuel, God is with us. That's the reason for this longest night service this evening. If this is a time of year that is difficult for you, at that service this evening, we will be assured God is with us, no matter how long the night may seem. Emmanuel. The second word that I want to lift up from the text is the the name that the angel told Joseph to give to the baby, Jesus. This is the the Greek spelling of, of Jesus. And what you need to know about that particular word having to do with Christmas is that Jesus was a, it's a very common name at the time. Jesus is actually a Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. Joshua. And, um, but the angel in that very first verse wanted Joseph to know, wants us to know, the readers to know, that Jesus, although this was a common name, he had an uncommon role. Because it begins, this is the story of the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. Messiah is another Hebrew word. The, the Greek word for it is the Christ. So I don't know if you were aware of this, but Jesus Christ, it's not like his last name. You know, it's not like it was Joseph Christ and Mary Christ, and then, of course, their son was Jesus Christ. No. The... Uh, was, was that a newsflash to anybody? Did you? I, I, I'm glad it wasn't. Because it, it says in the text what Joseph's last, Joseph, son of David. If they, if they had a last name, his last name was Davidson. Joseph Davidson. Mary when they were married. Mary Davidson. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. It is a role. It is a title. It is something that was totally unique about this baby born of a miraculous conception with a very common name, but with a very uncommon purpose in life. He was the Messiah whom the Jews had been waiting for. And the, the, the word Yeshua, Joshua, his Hebrew name, it means it has to do with saving. Jesus is the one who saves. And in fact, the, the angel says to Joseph, 
Here it is. Joseph Davidson. That's, that's the guy's name. Joseph Davidson. Do not be afraid to take Mary for your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You will bear, she will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, Yeshua, for he will save the people from their sins. The name means the one who saves. And so that, that word saving, it, it has strong connotations in English, and it is very much the same in Greek and in Hebrew. Saving, it's, it's a powerful word. It means a dynamic act of snatching one who is in, one who is in grave danger. And that is, in fact, what the angel said Joseph was to name the child because that is what his role was to be for all people. And when I, I hear about that saving kind of role that Jesus had, when I, when I think about the, the dramatic role of what saving someone means, I, I can't help but flash back to when I, was a, when I was a child. Grew up in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. It's very cold in the winter there. It snows a lot. It's below zero a lot. And so one, I remember one day as an elementary school kid, my dad took my sister and me to the, uh, out to the ice skating rink. We lived in Elk Grove Village, and, and the municipal workers would flood this flat area. It was really a field in the summertime. They would flood this flat area that sat on a hill above this little river that flowed through town. It was called Salt Creek. And so we were out there, along with a lot of other people, ice skating on this day in early winter, when um, two of the kids, for whatever reason, kids make bad decisions, two of the kids decided that it would be fun to climb down the hill and to try their hand at ice skating on Salt Creek. And it did not go well for them. I don't know if it was because it was too early in the season and the river had not had time to ice over thick enough, or if it was because the current was moving too quickly for the ice to form and stay. But, uh, but those two kids plunged into the frigid waters of Salt Creek. And they were unable to pull themselves out. There was nothing that they could get a hold of. The current kept pushing them, wanting to, in effect, pull them under, and their heavy winter clothes were dragging them down, and, and they weren't going to be able to get themselves out. And I, I can remember standing there, seeing all these people on the side of the skating rink looking down the hill at these two kids floundering around in the water, not being able to get themselves out. And it, it felt like time stood still for just that moment. And the next thing I saw was, was my dad sliding down this hill and plunging himself into the waters of Salt Creek so that he could get under them and lift the two kids out of the ice. And then he was strong enough as an adult to pull himself out of those dirty, frigid waters. I got to see my dad save those two kids. Wow. So when I hear the word save, that's what I flash back to. Because in fact, that is very much like what Jesus does for you and he does for me. 
Jesus, that child of the miraculous conception, came to earth to save. When we were plunged into the frigid and dirty waters of sin and separation from God, and there was nothing that we could do on our own to claw our way back to a heavenly Father who loved us. Jesus slid down the hill, and He reached in, and He pulls us out. He saves us for relationship with Him, for relationship with God. Friends, those are two words, I hope, that we can learn or learn anew this Christmas. Emmanuel, God is with us. Jesus, the one who saves us and restores us to a relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. Amen. For the past few weeks, we have been celebrating and living in and learning about this season that's called Advent. And for many of us, um, if we probably didn't grow up in a church or a particular kind of church, we have no idea what Advent is other than the fact that maybe it's a wreath and the family gets up and reads the scripture and lights a candle. But Advent is so much more than that. Advent is a season of waiting, of longing, of preparation as we prepare to celebrate and remember the birth of our Savior when the Christmas season begins. And we're celebrating the birth and affirming our belief that he will come again. And friends, he will come again. For the past three weeks, we've lit our three candles, hope, peace, joy, and today, our fourth and final candle is the candle of love. With our other candles, we have bumped worldly hope, peace, and joy against what those things look like through the gift of perfect faith, and I want to do that again with us this morning as our time together draws to a close. You see, for many people who live in this world, worldly love, love from this world, is love that's easy, convenient, and useful. <laughs> worldly love is almost always, um, it almost always comes with a condition, an attachment, an unexpressed expectation. Think about it. So I was coming, I'm like, what does that look like? It looks like people who are dating, they just start to date. And he or she says about his or her new boyfriend or girlfriend, I just love the way he makes me feel. He does so many great things for me. She makes me laugh. She makes me happy. You see, worldly love is more often than not completely self-focused. It is self-centered. It is self-indulgent. Worldly love also allows people to control and to manipulate others because of that condition or that unexpressed expectation that's attached. It is full of pride. It is full of envy. It is full of arrogance because self is at the heart of worldly love. 
But if we look at love through the gift of perfect faith, it is completely different. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is never boastful or conceited or rude. It is not quick to gloat. It doesn't take offense. It doesn't keep score. It doesn't keep a mental tally of who's right and who's wrong and how many times it's won over something else. There's nothing that love cannot face. There are no limits to love's faith, to love's hope, to love's joy, to love's endurance, because love never ends. One of the first verses that we learn is that for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. We light our fourth and final candle today as a reminder of God's perfect love that is found in one name, found in the name of Jesus. We invite you to stand this morning as we sing and we light our last candle as Advent draws to a close and the Christmas season begins. We invite you um, to connect with what it means, God's perfect love, God's love that is found in the name of Emmanuel.
this place today. God's love endures forever. It will never leave you. It will never forsake you. Hold that truth. Hold that light in your heart and go be God's light out into the world, especially this Christmas season. And all of God's children said, amen. Amen. See you next week.